yeah, broad spectrum of experiences and learnings. And it's it's interesting to hear that you learned about sort of the management side of things in Washington. I mean, was that a formal training program in terms of management and leadership style, or is that just something that just happened to be learned on the job? No, it's a training that they were doing. You were a year and a half intern, so you went out on, a, I think it was a J1 visa at the time. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Burnt Chef Journal, a hospitality-specific podcast dedicated to challenging mental health stigma and conversations designed to inspire a new, healthier, happier and more sustainable hospitality profession. This week on the Burnt Chef Journal, I am very lucky to be joined by Jonathan Howell, who is executive chef for Summerow House in Oslo, Norway. Jonathan and I were chatting fairly recently about the cultural differences in Norway and the hospitality industry, certainly in the fine dining area, compared to what it is in Norway and versus the UK. And so Jonathan comes on to the podcast to talk to us a little bit about his experiences and his background, where he honed his craft and worked at the likes of Ritz and the Dorchester before actually becoming the youngest chef based in Norway to gain a Michelin star at Le Canard. So it's a really interesting talk because there's a lot of nuances and a lot of things that Norway are doing that I think are really quite interesting in terms of what we can adopt and use over here in the UK. Some will work, some won't work, but it's an insightful conversation and one that I very much hope that you enjoy. The Burnt Chef Project is proudly sponsored by Lamb Weston, a leading provider of innovative, high-quality potato products created for chefs to help operators thrive both today and tomorrow. Working carefully with sustainably-minded farmers and growers, Lamb Weston provides potato solutions for every type of kitchen, from premium British chips and fries to potato shapes, wedges and mash. To find out more, head to lambweston.eu or search your partner in potatoes. Thank you for joining me. So today's conversation is quite light. I mean, to be honest with you, you and I spoke for the best part of an hour last time we spoke and it was quite fluid. So I think we'll probably be covering a lot of that sort of content again, but it's quite general, quite relaxed, just sort of exploring your background into hospitality, what it was that sort of drove you to to get into it, your experiences and sort of where you are today. And, and we touched upon some of those cultural elements that we discussed before and and those differences, if you're happy with that. Yeah, no problem. It's good to maybe hear a different side of it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Is there anything in particular that you wanted to cover as well on this? No, I think obviously we're, we're in a, you know, as we talked before, we're in a different, a little bit of a different situation over here. We we have a, I think a little bit more of a forward focus on, on things in general anyway. So I'm sure we'll touch a bit on that. And there is that side of the mental health that needs to come forward. So <laughs> things people need to talk about if there's issues and I think here that we're quite good at it in general I feel like people are quite quick to approach you if they're if there's an issue you know a chef will come and say oh, I'm tired can I get some extra days off and you say yeah I fix you you know otherwise they just get too much you know so I think uh, I think it works all right here it's not too bad yeah it's good it's good well, I'm, I'm interested to explore it more I think that there's a lot of things that we can learn over here especially i mean i don't know what's it like over in norway at the moment in terms of the health of the industry overall are you are you experiencing the same difficulties that we are over here at this moment in time 
difficulties we have is staffing, obviously. That's the same one issue that you've got. Obviously, in the UK and internationally, it doesn't matter where you are. This, that issue is is all around the world. Business-wise, we're, we're new. You know, we opened the 1st of September, so we've been packed since day one. All the restaurants are packed. I'm packed all the way up to the 23rd of December. I don't have space. So business-wise, is fantastic. But I think there are places that are struggling, but not us. So we'll see what happens in traditionally sort of January is a little bit of a quieter period here. And then February is probably the worst month of the year for business. But we'll see, we'll see. You know, we could still be riding that wave for the next year of being the new new place, the hottest place. There, so we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, it almost seems like an oxymoron at this time of year, isn't it? Especially with yeah, over here we're looking. We've got businesses who unfortunately aren't even making it through Christmas because of cash flow issues, and anyone within their right mind would go, "What a terrible time to start a business in hospitality." Yeah, actually. You know, it's if you are fresh on the block, if there is something new and exciting, then I think people will potentially favour that over something that's been on their doorstep for a while. Yeah, probably. I mean, this this project was four years in the making, so it wasn't was started a long time before COVID kicked in, and then that had a huge effect on the, the time that it was to get finished. But I think it was four, four, four and a half years or something. It was building. It took a long time. I wouldn't necessarily choose to put my own money into a restaurant right now. <laughs> I'd be a little bit careful in that situation. Yeah. <laughs> when COVID kicked in, it was a big change from what you, you had in England and many countries. A lot of countries didn't get any support. Here we got massive support from the government. Everybody got 80% of their salary. Restaurants, they got things paid. They got money. They got support from the government so that they didn't they didn't go under. So. The restaurant I had at the time, we came out just as well as we had on a normal year. Mm. And we were close seven months. So, <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. But we were probably close a lot more than they were in the UK. They were a little bit quicker. Close for longer with less revenue, but still same, same break-even point that you had the year before, right? That's We could learn a thing or two. Yeah. So I think they... You know, if the government decides at the point where you're not allowed to sell alcohol, then you've basically shut your restaurants. So then they need to decide, okay, do we support the restaurants or or do we let them stay open? You know, I think that was, and here they decided to support them. So I know in a lot of countries, it was a little bit better in the UK, I think, than many places from what I understand. But I had friends in Spain with restaurants and they, they closed down, they shut the doors, they didn't get anything. They struggled through, so... Yeah. And it's much much the same in America and Canada. Canada specifically, like restaurants were the last thing to have their doors open. They were completely naturally boycotted by the government. It's a case of yeah. no one should have the ability to go out and dine because you're probably the still gonna be the spreaders of COVID, especially if you have an alcohol license. And so businesses were just clinging on in Canada. So I don't think we've got the worst of the deal, but it definitely sounds like uh, Norway was a better place to be during that period of time. Yeah, it's nice to be off for a while. <laughs> no one was happy with the way things were done anyway. I mean, uh, it was an awkward situation for everyone. The government could never win no matter what they did, but I think it, it was a little bit smoother here than many places. Yeah. In terms of like your calendar, your sunshine calendar, do you guys get affected by the six months of pure light and six months of pure dark at the times of the year or do you tend to find that that's not no we're not that high up so we have the summer we have it's not 24 hours but i mean the sun never it goes down but it doesn't really go down 
So four or five in the morning, it's still light, but it's not it's not the midnight sun. You know, it's not up, and it's very light. And then in the winter, yeah, it's dark from can you say three o'clock the worst time the worst time is now this is what we're coming up to the longest day is it in two or three days time i think so probably dark at three o'clock in the evening and it's light maybe nine in the morning so it's a, it's quite a short day but we have snow so brightens up your day a little bit yeah does that ever get old like having to get dressed and get ready for snow cold hands you know that whole excitement does that still bubble away Nah, it's still good. You've got to make the most of it. You get you get a little bit tired of shoveling snow because you you have so much that you have to you have to dig, get your car out, or you have to clear your driveway and things like this. So a lot of people have machines to do it. I've never gone that far. I like to do it myself. But when you're moving, you know, you're moving tons of snow. It's it's a job. It's a workout. It's part of part of it. Keeps you healthy, chef. Right. Good to do some <laughs> try yeah <laughs> T- it's a team mentality right guys today we're digging my car out of the snow everyone outside yeah, enjoy some fresh air <laughs> today we have to find the car <laughs> it's that much snow uh, i'd say it's good yeah, yeah yeah i think where you live you have to take the most from it you know I've, I've lived all around the world and in different places and i think you have to enjoy if you don't enjoy snow then you're probably not in the right place if you can actually make the most of it and you know i can go skiing from from my front door cross country skiing and certain times a year and it takes me 20 minutes on the tube to get up to the ski slopes from oslo so if you enjoy it then nothing better oh wow that sounds it sounds ideal it sounds very idyllic actually if you don't mind the cold of course but like that sounds class yeah. yeah, wild away from the, the the mud and the wetness that we have over here in the UK at the moment. So, so before you lived in Norway and you've been over there for quite some time, when did you get into chefing and, and what was your first experience of that? What was the what was the first defining moment that you found? I started very young. I went straight from school and I pretty much started as soon as I finished school. I was fifteen at the time when I went straight in to do a what was the old MVQs for catering hospitality so I started very quickly I I think the main the main reason that I started you know a lot of people say I had this passion from grandma's cooking and mom and dad's cooking and this was amazing I like to travel I enjoyed traveling when I was younger and it was something that I saw as a as a a fairly good opportunity as well to, to, to use that and to to travel I enjoyed cooking at school my mom and dad would probably say that I had never cooked at, o- at home at all <laughs> it was uh not much of that going on maybe cakes and things but I, I did enjoy it at school and it was sort of an opportunity there to move that way and it became very clear quite quickly that you know it was it I think in this industry it's always exciting there's always something happening it's never a dull moment you can it's it's just life you know the restaurants and hotels and there's always it's always buzzing you know there's and I think that that was something I enjoyed very quickly and and then followed on from there ended up sort of traveling around the world and working and ended up in Norway ended up in Norway what are some of the 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 key defining moments have they been in the UK or where where in the world have you worked that you've gone do you know what bloody hell if I had an opportunity I'd go back there in a heartbeat 
Yeah, I think I've done I've done many different things through my career. I've done many different restaurants, different styles, different hotels, different things, and I think everything I've done has sort of helped me become the sort of the person I am in the kitchen. It doesn't, you know, I've worked in Michelin restaurants. I've had a Michelin star. I've worked in, you know, the five star deluxe hotels. I've also worked in pubs while I've been traveling or I've, uh, you know, different things like that. And it's, I think everywhere you go, you sort of can get different things from it. I went to, I went to America when I was 21 as a management intern in a, in a large hotel just outside Washington, DC. And I learned about management while I was there for a year and a half. Food-wise, maybe I didn't learn that much about food in a way. Different, some different techniques and different food. Maybe I learned about, but I learned about managing a, managing a kitchen, um, HR, dealing with staff who had problems, all sorts of you know, events, plating a thousand a thousand plates for an event. That's sort of a different side of it. So you, I think you can. There's so many different things you can pick up in different areas. So. Certain places I, I will always remember. I worked in Jersey when I was, yeah, I think I was twenty when I went there, and I worked in a Michelin star restaurant called the Village Bistro. Chef there, David Cameron, was a tough boy. Uh, <laughs> you know, we worked a lot, we worked hard, and there was a lot of stress involved, a lot of long days. And but uh, you sort of look back and realize you you got quite a lot from that. You learned a lot, you gained a lot, and appreciate what you had. It's the same. I went to the Ritz after I've been in in America and. That was a tough kitchen. It was 2000, 2004, maybe, 2003, 2004, I think. And it was a hard kitchen. That was um, a challenge, but it was a really good challenge. And I felt like I got a lot from that as well, a lot of diversity in what, what we were doing, a lot of challenges. And you'll always remember that. I'll always remember that job. So there's there's been many of those. I think everywhere I've been, I've I've had something out of it, a lot out of things. So. And it's all sort of gone together to make a, to make a product at the end. Yeah, broad spectrum of experiences and learnings, and it's it's interesting to hear that you learned about sort of the management side of things in Washington. I mean, was that a formal training program in terms of management and leadership style, or is that just something that just happened to be learned on the job? No, it's a training that they were doing. You were a year and a half interns. So you went out on a, I think it was a J one visa at the time. The reason behind your visa was that you were coming as a management intern or a trainee to work within the department you were working within. For me, it was in the kitchen, so that was the side of it. But it was it was very good. You know, I was 21 years old and I came into a, a large kitchen and very quickly moved up up to a kitchen supervisor and then a kitchen manager. They they call it there. They don't have the same. They didn't have the same titles. So and to learn, you know, America is. Is very different. You have to be very careful how you speak to people. You have to be very careful what you did. And for me, coming from uh, from that one Michelin star restaurant, which was tough and you know no holds barred, and then going into a place where you had to write everything down. If you said something to an employee, you wrote it in a book and you said on this day, you know this and this happened. And so it was a very different side to it. But it it was a good way to learn at a young age to deal with people. Because there's a lot of different people out there. Yeah, that's one of the great things about the hospitality, isn't it? You can go anywhere in the world and you can have a, a job in hospitality quite comfortably. But also at the same time, it's full of diverse, a diverse mix of individuals. And so that not everyone 
likes to be treated the same. Not everyone wants to be treated the same or, or certain things you can say to one person, you wouldn't be able to say to another. And it's, you have to be, I think even more so nowadays, we have to be so mindful of that and, and our language and our behaviors within those sort of environments, right? Yeah, very much so. We, uh, we had a management trainer in middle level management training a few weeks ago for all the sous chefs and head chefs in the hotel and all the, all the, the restaurant managers and all the all, all the people sort of middle management for them to learn a little bit about because a lot of people are put in these positions and they've never actually learned they've never learned that side of it they're just thrown into a position where okay you're a sous chef or you're a head chef and you'll you'll deal with it and suddenly you have 20 or 30 staff who are completely different who you need to deal with in so many different ways that we had all our staff in a few weeks ago to to take this up and it's part of a program that we'll try and do throughout the year to to follow up and just to give them give them the help they need the management side and then that will hopefully come over to the employees and they'll they get a little bit more out of it and appreciate it so yeah so it's such a big component though isn't it like ultimately you've got very quick turnover within hospitality it's quite a transient workforce and also if the culture is not right then people tend to leave quite quickly anyway and you don't often have that formal like the internship, you don't have that formal training, do you? The documentation of processes, the the emotional intelligence to be able to receive receive feedback in a psychologically safe workplace. I mean, even these terms are still foreign concepts to people who perhaps haven't even looked at these yet or been told about them. Yeah, or not even thought about them. I mean, you you don't you know you work up as a chef and go through the ranks, and then you suddenly in this position where you somebody's telling you all their problems or or you have to find out what the problem is or you're thrown into this sort of arena where anything can go <laughs> for me here i have i've around 70 75 employees in the kitchen so you're gonna have you're gonna have some problems people are gonna have personal problems people are gonna have problems at work they're gonna have problems with each other so you need to be able to to deal with that and i think it's it's important to give people the training to do it so they can do a better job and keep the staff longer. And it must be tough, right? 70, 75 people, like, I mean, it's hard enough having two children at home, let alone having 75 professionals in an environment, all passionate, all driven, all there for the same cause, but all with very different styles and thought processes. Like, how on earth do you manage that and still have time for yourself? At the moment, there's not a lot of time for myself. <laughs> you know, we're very new. We've been open since the 1st of September. So it's, you know, the the starting up phase, which is the, they count the first four months. For me, it's the first year is the sort of startup phase for this, this hotel. So it's, from my side, it's more of a challenge, but it's important to try and find the dynamics within the kitchen. Some people, you know, I often say to people, I don't, I don't really care if you don't like each other, but it's important that you're, you can speak to each other in a civil manner. It's important that you're able to work together you know, we're here for the same goal. We're here to do the best we can. You don't have to leave here and be best friends. But, you know, we're we're trying to make a, a good place, a good working environment, avoid any any small problems that people have. So I think it's finding sometimes some people don't work well together. So it's it's maybe moving those people. Okay, that person, they work dinner, they work lunch or they work in in the the events department or they're going to move into we have quite a few restaurants here so it's is possibility to move around if there is a little bit of friction and it's you can see that someone maybe doesn't quite connect to each other it it can be can be done to make everyone happy but it's it's a challenge it's going well so far 
It's good. And you, you and I have spoken before and you were saying that in terms of the issues that we may experience in other parts of the world in the hospitality industry, we don't get the same sort of issues. So you find your retention rates are usually a lot, a lot better within, within hospitality. Can you sort of expand on, on what it is that makes Norway and, and sort of working in the environment there, even at the level that you're working to currently, you know, a, a high level, so much more healthier in terms of business operations. Yeah. When when I first moved to Norway, we I moved from I was in London at the time. I was working at the Lanesborough. We just reopened the Lanesborough restaurant, which was the conservatory at the time, and then we reopened it to be uh, Upsleys. And I decided that you know, with my wife, she's Norwegian. We just decided that the food I wanted to do, I didn't want to kill myself doing it. You know, I'd heard a lot of positive about Norway, and we decided, okay, let's let's take a chance and and try it. So there's two major cities here, really, for food. As maybe people will argue with that now and say there's three, but Oslo and Stavanger has been the the cities with the food. Now Trondheim is a little bit more recognised or more recognised. So, but it was sort of okay. Oslo is a small city. I, I can I can probably handle. The size uh, it's not a problem not too small but we'll <laughs> we'll give it a go i moved over and um and came to a, a michelin star restaurant here and there's just a very different setup of how how they do things here whether it's hotel restaurants you know the laws are quite strict on what we do but for example when when i was the head chef at le canard the one star we were closed two days a week that was the first thing so everyone was off two days a week the same days every week then we only opened dinner. We didn't open lunch. We never did lunch. First of all, there wasn't, there's not a huge business for it here. Luckily enough, now in, in the restaurant I have here, Expedition Salon, we're full every day for lunch. We do 300 every day. But in a normal, say not a normal restaurant, but it's not a huge business. So lunch was never, was never an option. We never opened lunch. So in order to keep the shifts for the chefs to a reasonable level, it was dinner five days a week, and we had the same team who worked all the time together. Everyone knew their section, everyone worked together, everyone came in, okay, maybe between 12 and 2 o'clock every day. We would have a menu that was set up in the right way that it wasn't, you know, a lot of chefs write these menus, well, let's have 400 things on the menu, you know, let's try and impress everybody. Well, it's a little bit different here. People are a little bit more understanding and and for example we had a 11 11 course menu that was the menu that's what you had we also had a small menu which was a three course menu where you got extra appetizers petit fours and a few middle courses but that that was it that's what we did and it was the focus on making sure that food was the, the top quality and you see that's done in a lot of places here as well in order to keep the the level and not to not to overwork the staff so that that's what I did the first three and a half years I was here, and I, it was fantastic. I had a I could do the food I wanted to do. I was working in Michelin standard, great food, great products. I worked relatively hard, but I definitely there wasn't many days I was in at eight in the morning and left at twelve at night. It was very few and far between. It was uh, and and then it was definitely a choice of mine if I did it. And it was the same with the chefs, you know, that they they had a good life. We tried to do four day weeks for most of the staff back then, okay, which was nice as well. But now with this hotel, with Sumro, everybody is, in theory, 35 and a half hour weeks. That's what they should work. I have to say at the moment, it's not always working that way. We're, we're still in the opening stages. So we, we've got everything is a bit of an extra challenge at the moment. We do in the house maybe 1,500 guests a day who eat. 
you know, it was breakfast, lunch, dinner. We have a Japanese restaurant. We have a Japanese Nordic restaurant. We have uh, a cafe. We have room service, canteen, yeah, afternoon tea. So it's it's getting everything going. But but there's definitely there's a big focus that we need to make sure the staff have time to themselves. We try and work with this eight hour rule. We say eight hours work, eight hours rest, eight hours sleep, and that's what we work from. That's the theory behind it. Yeah, okay, some of my chefs will push nine, nine and a half hours, but in general they it's it's tries to we try to limit this so that they they come to work fresh, they come to work and enjoy their work. It's finding ways to make sure that works. You need to can you say for, for example uh, our Japanese we have a Japanese restaurant, Japanese Nordic called Tark, which we have a, a, the same concept in Stockholm, and we have a restaurant called Sakaya, which is the same concept from Stockholm, which is a Japanese street food, more of a bar, but you know sushi and things like this and we saw very quickly it was overworked, it was too much, so we had the choice of okay, do we find all these extra staff or do we make a choice of how we want to do this so the the first choice was okay, Sunday, Monday closed. So we shut down two days and said, okay, now we can focus on the five days we're open and make sure the staff are happy or happier. <laughs> so there's certain things you need to do, and I think it's important to do them. You can't expect any more just to say, well, we're open seven days a week. You're just going to have to work. It doesn't work like that. Nobody will stay around. Maybe you'll get a few soldiers who'll work, put in there one year, and then they'll walk out the door. But in general, they people want they want consistency. They want reliability. They want to know what they're doing when they come to work, and they don't want to run around like a madman. We have some mad times uh, for sure, but it's it's just trying to work in that direction to deliver and make sure the staff stay for as long as possible. That comment there is, I mean, for an operation of that of this size that does that number of covers on a daily basis with so many different types of experiences and services that you guys offer. I think that ethos or that rhetoric of let's just try and keep people for as long as possible, like let's try to give them the best working environment they can so they never want to leave is something that we, we spoke about last time as well. And it's we hear it often. We hear business owners and we hear leaders talking about it, but that always comes down to, wait, hold on a sec. No, it's not financially viable to keep people as long as possible and keep them happy. It's not financially viable to shut the business for two days a week so that our teams aren't overworked and aren't stressed. So something's going to have to give. It's, it's refreshing to hear, but I don't, I mean, I, I guess there's going to be people listening to this going, oh yeah, sure. Like it all sounds great, but how on earth do you make those decisions based on, or how do you justify to a board of execs, for example, how you justify shutting a business for two days, two days worth of revenue gone in order to benefit the well-being of the staff? Is that something that you guys have just, in terms of how it works in Norway, have you seen that that works efficiently so people just don't question it now? I don't think there's really much of a choice. I think you can look at it and say, you know, if you don't do this, what's what's the downside? I mean, where, where are we going to be in a month or two or three months? You know, are we going to have any staff? Is everybody going to leave? Is the reputation going to be in such a point where no one wants to work for you? It was always that sort of way in London as well. It was there were certain places you just wouldn't go to. It was very simple. You know, I won't name any, but uh, <laughs> there's two or three in particular that I, I knew I would never go to work at because I just heard awful things about the place. Maybe the food was amazing, but uh, you know the chefs were just terrible. 
and the working conditions and everything was just awful just because you wanted to get that name on your CV. What's the choice? Do we have a choice to do this? Do we, yeah, you can say, oh, maybe we should have, maybe we should have more staff then. It's not as easy nowadays. You know, you can't just go out and find 10 more chefs or 10 more waiters. If we could, we would probably go in that direction. But I think when you look sometimes at the revenue against what the cost is, it, it does, is the revenue so much? I just have to, one second, I have to move a bit, sensors here. So. <laughs> yeah, you just descended into pitch black, <laughs> fade out. It's all about safe, so all the lights turn off on their own. But um, yeah, I think sometimes you don't have a choice. I don't think it's necessarily to, to justify to someone who's sitting at the top and doesn't really understand it. I think you, you need to come down and hopefully you have managers and leaders within within the corporation, within the business, within the restaurant that that you trust and that you can say, okay, this is a decision you're making. There must be a reason you're making this decision. I want to make money. I want to make as much money for this place as possible, for every place I've ever worked. You know, my priority has been delivering great food, having good staff and also making money because you make the money, you can spend the money. It's as simple as that. If you have it, you can use it. But if you trust the people who are doing the job, then hopefully you trust them to make those right decisions. And I think, as we've seen for many years, the, the cost of re-employment is drastic. It's, it's a lot of money. It's, it's a lot of time. You know, I've used a huge amount of time to find my staff and I, everyone I, I lose costs me time. It costs me money, everything. It, so let's not lose them. After two years, three years, yeah, I understand people want to change. But two months, six months, eight months, it's, it's just a rotating door. It's, it's pointless. So. You're losing money that way anyway. If you're enjoying this week's episode, consider heading over to our website and supporting our ongoing work in destigmatizing mental illness and creating a healthier, happier, and more sustainable industry by purchasing some of our branded merchandise. We have a whole range of t shirts, hoodies, chef's jackets, well being journals, plus a whole host more available on Worldwide Dispatch. All funds raised from sales of these items go towards free-to-access e-learning content, as well as providing free support systems and help for those who may be experiencing difficulty with their mental health. I always like to think about it, especially within hospitality, as we look at performance, like performance is a big key driver for us. How how efficient can we be? How How consistent can we be? How great do things look, taste, feel? But actually, we need to be starting to look at our performance in terms of if we're spending our time recruiting and interviewing. Have we got a shit performance where people are already staying three months? And do we sort of gloss over that? Because actually, we've got you know a couple of accolades under our belt. Or do we go, hold on a sec, our performance should be measured on how long people are staying in an organization, not necessarily the accolades that we have? Yeah, I think it's so important. You know, it's something I've worked with for years when I... As I say, ever since I've been here, I, I'd say probably the last restaurant I opened, I was there nine years and I had I had staff who worked for me six or seven years. And there becomes a point where sometimes you need to push them out the door and say, you know, now's, now's time for you to go and learn something else or do something else. But in general, two or three years out of everybody was was a normal and, and people people enjoyed the job. They they felt like it was, you know, they wanted to go to work. They they enjoyed the team they worked with. You know, it was consistent. 
So I think that's, if I can get to that point here, that I have sort of two, three years out of all the staff, then I'll, I'll be, I'll be happy for sure. So as long as they don't all leave in three years together. So, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you said two or three years, we've hit our target. That's it. We're off. See you later. <laughs> I think it's, um, it's a little bit about showing people what, also what you have to offer, you know, is that it's not always greener on the other side. Work on what you have where you are. You know, it's a big part of what we do. We're trying to work with everything. We have a thing, we have a, a survey that goes out every two weeks to all our employees called PECON. This is sent out via text message and email to all, all the employees. Each employee will get 10 questions every two weeks. It varies on everything from how do you feel, how do you feel you're treated at work? How's your work? private life uh, mix do you have good feedback for your from your manager do you have do you have the tools to do your job i think there's 40 or 50 questions for this and every two weeks they get 10 questions and they fill these out anonymously and they go to their manager of, of that department so each department has a structure where all the chefs will will score their sous chef or head chef and then we we look through those and they can leave comments they can write positive comments they can write negative comments and then we we go through that i go through it every week and and see what's happening see what the feeling is see which area we can we need to work on and then we can try and focus a little bit on that area for the following weeks and and put in a plan of action of what we can do so that it's a good tool it's useful to have but we also try and try and work with now it's christmas so we've put a lot of effort into doing things for the staff at christmas so we will have yesterday i was out with all the food and beverage employees we took them all to a local bar we paid drinks for them from most of the night we've had limited time to do things so it was just a, a nice way to say thank you can i just stop you for a second you've just taken your team out during christmas like on the week of christmas to to thank them in hospitality mind blown <laughs> yeah so some didn't turn up because they knew they had to work but it was the same my my breakfast team who started 5 30 in the morning i never expected them to come so i sent them for dinner the day before so the breakfast team went for dinner to a restaurant and had dinner and drinks because they're not going to be partying till two in the morning i hope yeah and then we we work things you know at christmas we make a plan some people don't want to really work christmas we're we close a lot of places close down and we we close down some of our restaurants so a lot of people are off we have obviously our breakfast lunch and dinner in our main restaurant continuously so then we're putting on 23rd we're making all our all our chefs from the from the japanese nordic restaurant will make sushi on the 23rd for all the for the all the employees the 24th we have a traditional christmas dinner in the staff canteen for the employees and then the 25th will be hopefully turkey we're just waiting to find out if we can get a hold of them <laughs> otherwise it'll be roast chicken and all the trimmings there'll be sweets and bruce sodas and gingerbread and all sorts of things happening all christmas just uh you know the ones who are here is, is sort of a thank you and hopefully they work as little as possible that's the plan but still they they're at work so let's make it pleasant for them yeah it's so nice to to hear and i i mean having worked in other sectors you would consider a lot of this sort of stuff fairly normal but in hospitality to hear of people having a christmas party if you like and or you know thanks during december the busiest month of the year as opposed to a not getting it or b waiting until january is that's a complete curveball one that i think we should get more used to 
or more accustomed to, but also like that, that recognition piece of noticing that actually your breakfast team may not fancy a, a late night. And so rather than just excluding them from that, what else can we do to, to show them that we value them as, and, and their roles and that them as human beings independently? That's cool. I like it a lot. There's a lot of things I think places can do. Obviously, that there is a monetary uh, problem for many places that they they don't have the money, they don't have the revenue, or the. But then maybe that's a, a fundamental problem in the business. You know, if you're not making money, then should you really be open? <laughs> if you can't afford to buy your your staff a few drinks every so often, then should you really be continuing? Yeah, we're a big company and we're we're able to do many things. We have a lot of bonuses and perks for the staff. They get hotel rooms really cheap in Scandinavia. They actually get four free nights a year in the hotels. They get twenty five percent off the food and beverage in all the hotels. Many small things, different restaurants reductions and. It's nice benefits that you can offer. You know, I'm fully aware not everyone can offer these things. It's it's a different situation they're in. But I think there's small things, even as a small restaurant, that there's, there's certain things you can do to keep your staff interested. You keep them happy and keep them a long time. Yeah. I think it's about thinking outside the box as well, like in, and identifying what it is that's most important to your teams. And we tend to get locked into the fact that it's all about the money. It's all about, you know, how much we pay people is, is people are worth money and more we pay them, the more their worth is. But actually, you know, something my old, my old boss who I saw yesterday, he, he caught on to years ago was that we spend so much time servicing restaurants and, and providing, you know, fine dining ingredients to hundreds of restaurants across the southwest of England. But actually, we weren't looking after our team. So everyone, every single week, got a fruit and veg bag. So they didn't have to go and spend money at the local fruit and veg shop. And, you know, it could be wonky veg. It, it, it could be, you could have like ugly fruit in there. You could have some random bits in there that you think, oh, bloody hell, I'd never eat that. Or my kids would never eat that. But that wasn't the point. The point was, you're a human being, you know, this hopefully is, it's good for you. It's nutritious. It's going to save you some money, hopefully. And it's more than just an extra, extra couple of pounds in the pay packet. And and that has worked wonders for retention in terms of his business model. Like it's those small little touches that really make the difference, isn't it really? Yeah. I think there is, there's a huge amount you can do. And it's just a, it's just to find that small thing you can do for people. People appreciate different things. And if they know you care, you know, if they know you care about their health, it means a lot. You know, you want to work with someone who does actually care about about your health, not just not just your mental health, but your physical health. We're not the healthiest bunch of people around uh, often. It's important to, to have the focus on that as well. And small things means a lot. A bit of a personal question, but how has your health been since moving out of the UK to Norway? Have you found that overall your mental and physical health has been better as a result of you know the environment or the working environment or just general lifestyle now i have two kids so it's worse <laughs> yeah right <laughs> no yeah it's a big change it was a big change moving i have i have a lot more i can't say now now i now i'm pretty busy in what i'm doing and i i work too much but that's my my aim for january is to to fix my own schedule if you understand that to get more time but it's the way it is. It's a new opening. If you don't put the effort in to start with, then you you won't get the rewards in the end. So that's been an important part of it. But in, in general, I've I've had a very good work life balance for many years. I have good holidays here. Always have 
plenty of time off. If I work a lot, I take time off when I can. Outdoor life, traveling, it's, it is better. It's much better. Just to, to have the time with the kids as well. I have a lot more time with, with my children the last few years than I would have ever had if I lived other places. So there is that big focus here. Family life in Norway is, is big. You know, Sunday, everything is closed. There's nothing. It's, it's family time, sort of. Shops are closed. Some restaurants are open, but not so many. So it's, it's sort of spend time with your family and, um, and holidays as well. Easter here is everybody leaves the city. They all go skiing. The summer, we have a thing called Fellas Feria, which is like um, a holiday for everybody. And it's a it's a six I think it's a six week period in the summer, and everybody has to take three weeks holiday during those time. But in general, people take five or six weeks off, so they take a long period in the summer. So, so a lot of restaurants close. That's how a lot of restaurants deal with it. Hotels not so much, but restaurants will will close. I'd say on average six to eight weeks a year, just to make sure they they cover their holidays. So they'll close usually. Most restaurants will close here this week around the 22nd of December, possibly reopen for New Year's Eve, but not many, and then reopen again around the 6th of January. They'll always close at Easter week for a whole week. They'll close four to five weeks in summer, most restaurants. So it's quite a change. So you get you get some time off. So like, or basically all the busy periods that usually turn into an absolute clusterfuck over here, <laughs> depending on like you know, where you are in the country. Are there times when actually in Norway you just completely shut down and go have some time off? Yeah, it's a little bit of a culture difference. Christmas is yeah with your family. Your restaurants aren't that busy after. For us, we're we're full until the twenty third, and then we see a, a change. The twenty fourth is is Christmas Day here. It's when they celebrate. So then it drops down for a few days. But yeah, it's it's a different lifestyle and been nice. I miss England in a way. I also. I would never move back with my kids. My kids have a fantastic life here. They would never have it so good. You know, schools are great. They have time. They have lots of sports and activities. They ski. They they go swimming all summer. They they have a good life. So that was going to be my next question: Is would you ever come back? <laughs> to rephrase the question, perhaps, is that if I came to you and I said, "Look." Chef, I want to open up a restaurant in the UK, but I want to emulate. I want to emulate the Norwegian model. Do you think that it's a viable model in the UK or the USA to say, "Look, we're only going to do dinners. We are going to shut two days a week. Everyone gets that same two days off. We are going to give people six weeks holiday a year." Is that something that would be financially viable in you know these two examples, these two locations? I think it's a definitely a challenge. I think it's down to restaurants really to look at the what is your revenue? What's your revenue on a Sunday night? Do you need to be open? How much is your cost of your employees? To, it's basically a, a money issue. If you make I don't know if you make a couple of thousand pounds on a Sunday night for having it open, then is it is it so necessary? If your margins are so small anyway, and you're you're struggling in that in that manner, then as I said before. I, it is a challenge. It's a different challenge you have, but should you then be open if you're struggling so much to run a business? Mm. There's so many different restaurants, and you know, if you look at restaurants and hotels in, as well, then yeah, they need to be open. They need to be. They need to be twenty four seven. You know, we, we we have that here, 
but where we can we adjust and, and we change things as we need to we adjust opening hours if we need to after christmas between from the 24th to the first second of january then we we shut down our opening hours we close them down a little bit we take a couple of hours off one hour off each end so that we're we're not just you know should we just make the staff work because we can or do we want to create the revenue in a shorter period of time so yeah i think it's a challenge i don't know what the answer is for the uk in in some ways it's been a long time since i was in the kitchen there 14 years i've been here now i worked at the dorchester after i worked at the ritz they were working in quite a good way towards a better better plan i remember there i worked i worked usually an early or late shift i was a sous chef there i did usually early or late Maybe those early or late were a little bit longer. Very rarely was it a full day if something was wrong, you know, if someone was sick or something else happened. But it, they were working in that in that right direction there back when I worked there. So I'm not sure what they're doing now. Well, uh, to be honest with you, I don't. We've never had any contact with them to be able to say which is we're growing rapidly. We're definitely making tracks, but. Yeah, it'd be an interesting one to to have a chat with them about. There, I mean, look, we spend a lot of time sort of generalising, and there are going to be some fantastic organisations out there. And I know there are certainly independents that are doing great jobs, and some of the larger chains we're working with are also you're well on their way to to addressing these things. But I think that I kind of agree with you in a certain way. Like, if you're not able to make profit without absolutely rinsing every last minute out of the day, then Perhaps there is a glaringly obvious thing, but unfortunately, there's there's not very many quick fixes that can go in and rectify that. But I, I truly believe that even now in the in the current economical climate, there are a few people out there who have got the right idea and who are probably in a position to be able to start something that is you know, revolutionary that has actually changed and learned from the from the ways that perhaps things have been done before. And it's such a great opportunity to pull in front as well, isn't there, really? Like, yeah, I, I reckon if you if you were to phone up 50 of your ex-colleagues and go, hey, look, I've got a package for you. This is what's available. Like, how many of them would turn around and go, actually, I'm not interested. I'm I'm happy doing the <laughs> doing what I'm doing. Yeah, I've had a few over. It's a very different life. I have one of my sous chefs now, an Irish sous chef, worked in London for many years in many top restaurants. And he, he came over and he's... I wouldn't say it's a shock to him, but it's it's a it's a nice change, you know, going from those sixteen hour shifts to I think today he's working in the morning, he's on eight thirty starts and hopefully he'll go home. It'd be nice if he goes home at four, but realistically probably five. You know, he has his time, he goes to the gym, he trains, he it is an attractive package for people abroad. So it it's just whether they wanna enjoy the cold weather and <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> skiing every day, you know, getting good time off, and I'm about to shut shop and come and join you. I think I'll train. I'll train. You can put me on. I don't. I don't care. I'll. I'll be KP for you. It sounds awesome. It sounds like a great, great way of life. But it's it's interesting. I think that I think there's a lot of take, key takeaways from this conversation, and I think that it's not like it's necessarily a blueprint for anyone to be able to go all oh, right okay so that's how we run sustainably because there are a lot of variable factors in this including you know salary differences time off and you know we haven't even spoken about the customers perception that we have over here and customers are quite they can be quite demanding and we also as a result i, I hear time and time again we can't change our opening hours because we'll lose all of our customers and there's that perception of clinging on to that so there's a few things that you know, we definitely need to overcome but 
there is good prime examples like this that we can we can look to use for future if we don't continue to to progress and make it a better situation we we saw with with covid that we we lost a lot of, of staff we lost a lot of staff in norway in the industry because they they were given here it's called permitting like um they they were put off from work with with pay but there became a point where they wanted to work you know they would they wanted to get back into work even though they had money they still wanted to to work so they there's quite a few who took different jobs in different industries and and they haven't necessarily come back there was quite a few we had quite a lot of polish chefs here at the time and a lot went back to poland they took their money from norway and they lived in poland for the period of time and lived a happy life and then they, they didn't come back so you see a lot of people have left a lot of people are leaving unless we do something to make it you know a job you can do for a long time and you can do and enjoy and get something back from it then then it will be a continuous problem continuous battle with employment and that that's the worst part of the job is is say probably recruitment you know it's it's a lot of time takes a lot of effort you don't know what you're going to get you can do everything you can but you maybe don't get the result you want from it so if you can avoid spending too much time on it then it's it's good right we're doing a lot of work now with students with trainees so apprentices we have a system here where they they go they go to school for a year and then they come and do two years as an apprentice so we're putting a lot of effort into that to hopefully build that up for the, for the hotel because we have a huge capacity here we can we can take a lot of apprentices and the apprentices I've always had in in Norway have always gone on to do very well I've always sent them to London after they finished their apprenticeship with me worked in two stars one stars and then they come back to Norway with a bit more experience and a a little bit of a shock and they come back and they're so happy to come back to Norway and happy to work for me again <laughs> realize it wasn't that bad so I think that's something we're working a lot with. We have some programs that we're doing. We invite the schools here. We show them around the, the hotel and all the restaurants and, and it's impressive for them. So we're hoping next year because we're, we're new this year. We have one apprentice this year, but next year we hope to sort of get a few in for every department and work on that and build for the future with those. It's important. Get the yeah. legacy, right? Which is something I was talking to someone about yesterday is about what is the legacy? What's the long-term feed? Like how how are your managers meant to leave confidently knowing that someone else below them is trained and how are other people meant to aspire to be able to go up the, the channel? How are you going to continuously make sure that you've got new, fresh, young talent coming through that you can mold and that you can train in a in a healthy way? And it's about leaving that legacy so that ultimately once – yeah, you know, the day you retire or you move move on, whatever the case may be, you know that you're actually now a spare part. You're not you're not needed anymore because everything else has been set up. Yeah, I think when you you have, especially from what from my experience here with the apprentices, you put there's a lot of time goes into them. They're two years with you, and they they work around all the areas of the kitchen and, and they learn. But after that two years, you have one of your best chefs. They know the kitchen. They know everything. They know how you want it they're ready to go and often they'll stay for another year then just to do an extra year as a chef to prove that they you know that they were good that they could have a job so you've had three three years of of an apprentice in a way and it's it's a positive thing and then often they come back i always say when when people leave me here i say you'll be back you come back <laughs> and they usually do so Nice, nice. It sounds slightly threatening, but in a really nice way. <laughs> like, you'll come back. <laughs> yeah, you'll be back 
So it's good. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, if you were to chat to your young sort of intern or apprentice self, like knowing what you know now and what you've learned and the experiences that you've had, is there any particular advice that you would you'd give to a, a younger version of yourself if you were to bump into your, yourself in a corridor? Yeah, I think I obviously had some advice from different people, but it was, was it the best advice? I'm not really sure, to be honest. When I was studying, did more myself for myself, if you understand. So something I've been very, very aware of is I try and give advice to the young chefs. Whether that's advice that's good for me or not, I try and advise them. I will tell people, you know, I'll, I'll have, they come here for studying. They'll come for a week in the autumn and a week in the, in the spring to see if it's a place they want to come to before they sign up and say they want to be an apprentice. And I, I always, you know, maybe they'll come to and say, oh, I, I love it here. I really like it. And I'll, I'll say, okay, well, where else have you been? And they'll say, oh, I haven't been anywhere. And I'll say, right, well, you know, we're not doing anything until you've been to at least two other places. This may be the best place you go to. And, I want you to come here, but I want you to go and I want you to look at other places, see different food, see a different kitchen and make the right decision because it's two years of your life you're you're about to sign up for. Let's make sure it's the right decision for you and for us as well, because I don't want to I don't want to waste two years and end up in that situation. So I've always been very aware of giving them the right advice. As I say, even if it's not good for me, I'm very specific that I want them to make the right decision and do the right thing so that's something i probably would have liked as well is a little bit in that direction to push you in different directions and help you make the right decision which doesn't really happen very often keep your options open look around make sure that you know what you're getting yourself in for before you do it right rather than jump in at the first opportunity and then find yourself knee deep yeah with my apprentices whenever they finish they've always stayed with me for three or four months at least uh, as a chef and then as i say i've usually sent them over to london and sent them to they've been to marcus at the barclay two star and they've been to i sent one to lanesford one star i sent one to there was two other one stars which i sent them to and I sent them over and I arranged a stage for them and said, okay, you go for two weeks and you just just work and just try it. And if it's good and you think it's nice and they think you're okay and they offer you a job, then take the job. And that's what we've done with quite a few of the chefs. And they've, they've gone with that feeling of they're not under pressure that they have to have to take this job. I have to be there. But if they feel it's something they can get out of it, then they've, they've gone and, and they've stayed with my blessing and i know after one year they'll probably come back to me mm. because one year is enough and <laughs> they, they're not used to this sort of situation but they they've always always been offered a job and they've always taken the job the ones i've sent over so it's been a good situation for them a lot of learning and then i get back a chef as well who is one wants to work with me and two feels like they've got something out of the year and they're, they're bringing it back to, to you. They're bringing back that new education, that new view from the kitchen. Mm. It's a positive thing. So something I'll continue with. Good. So if any job applications want to come through to you at this moment in time for apprenticeships, uh, we'll put your email address at the <laughs> on the show notes. <laughs> if you fancy doing one and a half thousand covers a day in, a, in skiing afterwards, then you know where to come. <laughs> Yeah. Nice. 
And in terms of future plans then, so obviously you've only just launched this new new venture. You're still finding your feet in terms of you know, getting into a nice pattern and a rhythm. Any plans to, to multiply this in future or is it too early to say? We're part of a large group of, um, of hotels, a specific small group of Nordic Choice Hotels. And this is a, quite an independent hotel. It's, it's not, a, not a chain hotel in a way. It's, if you look on the website, it's a very specific. It's a 1930s. The building was from 1930s. It's, been, it's the same um, designer who did the NED in London. So we're, we're sort of, you can feel that quality and that design. And there's no other hotel in Norway like this. So it's not something that will open again. It's a project that for me was something that maybe will never happen again in Norway. A huge project, lots of F&B, lots of focus on food, huge options here. So something great to get into, but I, I'm not sure. It's not something we're going to replicate again, for sure. It's uh, <laughs> This is a, a very special building. But next year we open in March, April, we open a private villa, which is connected to the hotel with 11 suites. This will be a, with a chef in there, private kitchen, um, a bar, a gym. So very exclusive, sort of that personal touch that you come down to breakfast, the chef will cook what you want in front of you. You want an omelette, you want scrambled eggs, whatever you want, we, we fix. And it will be that sort of real personal touch to it. But it's also part of the hotel. So it's going to be a great addition to what we have now. So that will happen next year. And then we have to go through the whole year cycle for the opening. See how the summer is, Valentine's, see how all these different times of year are and just continue as we've done and created um, a fantastic hotel, fantastic restaurants. It's it's the place to be. So I think we're in the Times last week, uh, last weekend as is Oslo's hottest. Just continue with that. Try and uh, continue the quality and keep it going. I mean, yeah, that's certainly a good bragging rights there. I'm just having a, a quick look as we speak. But I think it's interesting, the, the dawn of these sort of environments. There's a place near me called the the Newt, which is owned by a South African called Kuzbeka. And this is very much like a five-star five-star venue in an area that you wouldn't expect a five-star but there is a certain decadence and a certain level of attention to detail that's actually really establishing these these new venues and it's interesting to see because i mean this one up here they were digging away some building foundations and found a roman villa so they built a makeshift like a replica roman villa on top and now you can eat Roman villa cooked food and stuff like it's just and it's not well, I'm not it sounds cliche and cheesy but it's actually done to a really nice standard it's still interesting like that's the great thing about hospitality we're always just pushing those boundaries and pushing pushing those experiences so one day I might be able to come over and have a look we see that a lot here that people are looking for experiences something that's a bit special you know if you can stay in a cabin up in the trees or if you can stay in one of these glass fronted mountain cabins or something different people want something different and it becomes a yeah an attraction and they do very well there is people with a lot of money to spend and they they want something different they they're looking always looking for something new so even the normal guests you know the are looking for something different so i think there's opportunities out there just to to create interesting concepts and like you say a roman roman eatery or a, yeah it's yeah it's so many options so yeah just constantly pushing the forefront of the culinary experience so it's it's just i, I love it what a, what a great industry well 
I mean, I think it's a, that was a good opportunity to sort of wind this up. I thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. Both this is our second conversation now and could probably go on for a lot more about other areas. But is there any final bits that you wanted to end on? Any key takeaways for people who are listening to this currently? Yeah, send me a job application if you want to. <laughs> well, I, I think it's positive that, you know, what you're working with, with the mental health side of the kitchens as well, as we've talked about before, it's not such a big issue here, maybe as it would be in other places, because we work a lot around around people's health. We're trying to make sure that they have the things they need in order to to live a good life, you know, make sure they have money, make sure they have time off, make sure they have good food at work, make sure they have the things they need, the support they need if they need it. So I think what you're doing is a good thing to to bring in that awareness because there's, there's a lot of people who don't talk about problems within the industry. It's sort of brushed under the carpet and you have to talk about these problems. It's the only way to get out of it. Yeah, it's difficult. I appreciate that. Thank you. It's, it's difficult because when, unfortunately, you know, the Burnt Chef project is very much about dealing with the facts. This isn't just what we think. This is based on data and, and information. And it's not done with any malice towards the industry. It's done because I genuinely do love it. And I want more people to have a sustained career. But we're going to have to deal with the facts first and then start working our way through it. So it's good. Yeah, this, con- this conversations like this help. They help raise awareness. They help expand perceptions because... I can guarantee 20 years ago, if you and I spoke and I said to you, look, you know, there's a, there's a business out there that operates five days a week, only does these services. You'd be like, yeah, no, whatever. You're, you're living in a, in a pipe dream, mate. There's no chance. But yeah, here we are, you know, and so we're, we're making progress. We're getting there. And you know, the more people that we can expand the horizons, the quicker we'll get there. Many, many hands make light work, right? Yeah. I think it's just getting that, making the the industry more attractive again. Maybe had a little bit of a hard time in the last few years and it's taken a bit of a hit. There's more people going out to eat than ever, but there's less staff. So it's trying to get that balance now and get people at work and happy at work and enjoying their jobs. So to get a future in it. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm eating into your skiing time or your your sauna or <laughs> whatever you have time for, chef. So tonight's work time, yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, it sounded so glamorous up until that very last point, but no, it's uh... sometimes we have to do it. You know, I'm away for I'm taking a short break from the 23rd to the 27th for Christmas, so it's nice to have everything out the way before I go, so that salaries are done, schedules are clear, all the things that out the way I have a meeting with all my head chefs and sous chefs now to talk about Christmas and New Year to make sure that they have all the ordering and everything is in line for what we need so all these things we need to do as well to make make life easy so I can drink champagne and relax <laughs> champagne god how the other half live I'll, I'll stick to my eggnog <laughs> my bucks fizz from, from Tesco zone but well, I appreciate that I'll, I'll let you crack on and um, thanks ever so much and it's good to talk to you yeah you too i hope i'm hoping that this episode comes out it'll probably be february maybe maybe we might try and get it live during january but we're putting out two a week at the moment so a person who looks after sort of all our marketing and all that was wondering who she would like to help promote or to help help do something just to even if it's just on our instagram or if it's something when you say there's always an angle they're looking for for a story and she's she's extremely good. She's the best there is here. She 
She knows what she's doing. You know, if you search the hotel now, you'll find this in every major magazine and newspaper and international travel writer in the world. It will talk about Somero. So she's done a fantastic job. But she she was wondering who to contact. Is it best just to direct contact you if there's any info she needs or? Yeah, so I can put her in contact with any my marketing manager. But if she contacts me in my on in the first basis, you've got my email address already, haven't you? Yeah, from the original invite. So yeah, if you just ask her to drop me an email, I'm happy to have a have a chat with her. We can share assets, we can you know tag in comms, and we can make sure that it goes off against both platforms. If she, even if she wants to do an interview with myself, just to explain a little bit more about the Burnt Chef project and the reasons why we wanted to interview you, we can do that. So. Yeah, it'd be good good for both of us, I think. Yeah, I think it's the more you get it out there, the better, the more don't think you can get it out enough. I had some, this is very raw for me right now because I, not to do with the industry, but my, don't need to put this out on the, <laughs> on the podcast, but my brother's wife committed suicide two days ago. Nothing to do with the industry. She doesn't, this is something that was not talked about as well. It wasn't an issue we'd heard much about, you know, it wasn't, oh, she's depressed or she's had problems or she's this. We knew she was a little bit different, you know, we always we always knew that. But so I got a phone call yesterday just to tell me that she committed suicide. So it's quite a apt timing, you can say, to speak to you about these things. As I say, nothing to do with the industry. She wasn't in the industry, but it's all about this talking about problems. We didn't have this information. No one gave us this information that we could help with. So the sad thing and it happens. Yeah. Are you quite close to your brother? Is, is he over in the UK currently? or He lives in Germany. I'm quite close to him. I wouldn't say super close, but we you know, we talk quite often. But it's it's never been a discussion we've had that we've sat down and said, oh, she's, you know, she's on the edge or she's this or she's that. Or It's never gone that way. But it's, so it's a little bit of a shock. But he's, I mean, obviously, something like that happens to you, he's devastated. So yeah, it's so important to to talk about it in the industry and in, in the in the whole spectrum of, of mental health i mean you've it's not the way out it doesn't help the people who are left behind i'm sorry to hear that uh, you know families going through that it's it's fucking tragic there's no other there's no other words for it and i was talking to a lady today on another podcast and she was talking about how she was in the priory and she was experiencing not just thoughts but feelings and tendencies and we we were just exploring how she couldn't tell anyone. And it wasn't a case of, you know, she was trying to will herself to get better, but she had no control over it, which is the worst thing because until you start speaking about it, you're not able to get people to reach out and give you the support that you need. So if there's anything that we can do remotely from here, then, you know, let us know. I'm of sound mind, you can say. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think people are built differently and people take things in different ways. But it's it's a shock when these things happen because often you haven't heard anything. That's what I, I find. It's not the first time I've it's happened to a, a fairly close family member. And it's it's not the first time that it was a complete shock. So, which is, as you say, people to talk about it is 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 a challenge as well to get them to admit that I, I don't think I don't think I don't know what goes on in there and I don't think they have the ability to really put it into to words sometimes but it's a shame and I just hope that within the industry that we don't have people because it's happened to many chefs who've who've gone that way and I think it's a shame I think it's a, a real shame when it happens yeah because it is as you say it is avoidable providing steps are taken and the key thing is that people know that there's help available and that then they shouldn't be shamed or or made to feel like 
it's a dirty secret because in reality, most of us at some stage or another will have even the slightest of wobbles, you know, even if I was saying to my wife last night, because she said her partner, her ex-partner, they weren't together, but he he took his own life two years ago. And we, we were talking about this because I found out my, my boss, his his father had taken his own life. And all of a sudden, you start hearing these things. And at the time, no one has ever spoken about it. And no. just all it would have taken is for someone to say, I'm having these uncomfortable thoughts. I don't know what to do. Yeah. And it just doesn't need to be that. It's not always uh, solve the solve the problem, you know. We, as I say, I've, I've seen this before that I know someone who was talking to someone, and he ended up going that way anyway. Yeah. But if it helps a few people and it helps to talk and helps to to get it out, then maybe the more people that know around around that person can actually help the situation rather than we as outsiders we look at it, we don't know what's wrong. What's wrong with this person? Why are they like this? Why they like? We don't know. We don't understand. And maybe people would have a little bit more understanding of you know why they're like that sometimes so it's a tough tough thing that happens i think mm. there's no black or white around mental health it's technicolored but often in gray colors <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah it's it's an ongoing piece of work and i oh, thank you for sharing i appreciate it it's probably it was whilst you're comfortable coming on and talking about these sort of things the timing perhaps could have been a little bit more opportune so i appreciate you taking the time out i think it sometimes it helps 